It's Two Brain Radio. Every week, we'll deliver top-shelf tactics to help you improve your fitness business and move you closer to wealth. And now, here's your host, the most interesting man in fitness, Chris Cooper. When I was a kid, the TV was never on, except for Sunday nights at 6 o'clock when we'd gather around and watch the wide world of Disney. And I can remember, we always hoped for a cartoon, but usually we got this black and white movie that was kind of like half musical and usually patriotic, like Swamp Fox. When I was contacted by AJ Dwyer back in December of this year, my first thought was, that's an amazing name, CrossFit Swamp Fox. AJ is a legit warrior though uh who's been deployed overseas you know he's got an mma background a bodybuilding background now he runs this flourishing gym and when i met him i was immediately struck by how many great ideas this guy had and i knew that my job would be to help him tease these things out one by one set up the structure to get them going and just watch how far he could go but the distance that he's traveled in those first few months has been nothing short of astounding. This guy is way above average, uh, both in brain and in execution. He's gone from one gym to two gyms now. He's started and filled a youth strength and conditioning program. And now he's about to go global with his testing methods. I'm going to share the little kernel, you know, the idea that I shared earlier that gave him the idea for these testing methods but he'll be making these things available to the general public later. This is a fantastic conversation. AJ responds in very clear, precise, actionable advice to every single question. You should get a pen and paper out now and try to get that song out of your head. Enjoy. AJ Dwyer, welcome to Two Brain Radio. Thanks for having me, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. So um, we're friends, but for the people who don't know you yet, uh, just give us your story. Yeah, uh, my name is AJ Dwyer. I'm in Pontiac, Illinois. I own CrossFit, Swamp Fox, uh, and Mad Fitness Strength and Conditioning. Um, I, myself, I've been doing CrossFit for about a year and a half now between CrossFit and CrossFit football. Uh, my primary base is in strength and conditioning, um, and that's what I had done prior to that. I'm just now starting to kind of get into the mix of the two. Okay, man. So um, in the past, you've mostly done one-on-one training with athletes. Is that right? Yeah, so I actually got started um, doing it while I was overseas in Afghanistan. Uh, I was going to school from, for exercise science when I deployed to Afghanistan. Um, while I was over there, I started looking at things I could do to kind of keep up because I couldn't do schooling online while I was deployed. Uh, so I went and I just did my personal trainer certification as well as my strength and conditioning. And then actually when I left, I was uh, an MMA fighter. So I started training guys from my MMA gym at home online while I was overseas in Afghanistan. And then when I got back, it just kind of picked up from there. I started getting local clients, you know, through the doors more and more. And this is kind of foreshadowing our conversation later, but how were you training these guys while you were overseas and they were back home? Uh, it was, it was difficult, uh, to get started anyway, but you know, I learned the biggest thing with, with doing remote training like that is just clear communication and demonstration and letting them know exactly what you're expecting uh, and, and clear, concise direction so they're not confused on what they're supposed to be doing. And it, it took a little bit of time to get things up and rolling because it was the first time I had done it. Um, but after a couple weeks of running through the training programs, it was very easy. I sent them their weekly workouts. They would report back to me how they did on these workouts, and then we would you know, reassess and go from there. 
how else did you guys communicate? Were you using Skype? Were you uh, sending them videos of what to do? It was all email, actually. So I had one of the guys that I trained with in the gym. Uh, we were kind of training partners at the time. I would send him the emails and, and just be like, hey, dude, here's the workouts for the week. Can you demo these movements for me? So it was not ideal. Um, obviously, now technology makes it a lot easier to remote train. But uh, that's, that's how I started. I had my friend who would demo the movements for them. Wow. I'm really excited to get into that technology talk with you later. Uh, I think anybody that listens to this thing regularly knows that I'm a bit of a nerd for that stuff. And um, you're really on the cusp of something huge. So um, before we get there, though, like me, uh, you went to university and started training for exercise science. What bridged the gap for you between university, like academia and CrossFit? Um, I think the, 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 the realistic ap- application, uh, and what I mean by that is, and we'll talk about this a little later, I believe, is, you know, I see a lot of young kids now coming out of university or coming out of college, and they're like, all right, I have my exercise science degree, I'm going to be a strength and conditioning coach. Well, you learn a lot about, you know, the, the physiology of the body and the biology while you're in college, but you don't learn the programming aspect. You don't learn how the assessments and reassessments go. So when I started doing CrossFit, um, I kind of saw the application of the movement. I'm a firm believer, you know, I've always said to my athletes, the beauty of what we do, you know, strength and conditioning, CrossFit, whatever, the beauty of what we do is in the movement. Um, and, and you don't really learn that at, in college or anywhere else. So to me, that's, that's what kind of made the connection. I think the, the base was built, you know, you, the, the understanding of the human body. But I really, um, once you start getting into the real world application to me, that's what made the most sense. How did you find CrossFit in the first place? Did that come through just you know uh, military exposure, or was that just general curiosity on your part? Uh, it came through military exposure. When I was overseas in Afghanistan, uh, Afghanistan uh, I was with a special forces team, and that's what they did. They did CrossFit. So I was uh, an MMA fighter slash bodybuilder. You know, so when I got over there, to me, I was a young kid. It was all about being huge. So they started you know doing CrossFit, and I was like, what are these guys doing? And I started doing it, and, and, and it was addicting from the get-go, really, because I'd never been challenged like that. So you come home off deployment. You know, Tell me the story of your integration back into civilian life up to the point where you start training people. Uh, so, yeah, right when I got back uh, from Afghanistan, uh, finished school and everything, um, and I went right back to my, my base, which was uh, bodybuilding. Um, that's kind of where I started when I was younger. So I started bodybuilding. I did a lot of training with bodybuilders. Uh, I trained them for for shows. Uh, my wife and I competed for quite a while. And then um, once I, you know, once and actually how it all started really is I was talking to one of our clients about personal training and, and athletic training and things like that. And one of the other clients overheard me and she's like, hey, I have a son who plays baseball. What do you think about training him? And then from there is, is where it really took off. Just that one client. Okay. So you start off with one client. Where were you training at the time? Uh, we, I was training them. We had our gym. Like we, had, um, we have a small gym here where we're attached to now. And the, the guy who owns the gym is a friend of ours. He would let me come in and, and train people there. So we, had, we didn't have an LLC or anything, but we were you know, quote-unquote personal trainers. People knew us in the area. So we just trained them out of there. Okay. And then how did you open up Mad Fitness? Um, once we started rolling, um, with, you know, I had a couple of the, the PT clients and, uh, I actually had a friend who owned a gym in Peoria, Illinois, who wanted me to start 
one of his gyms. Uh, he owns a gym called Guardian Fitness. Wanted me to start one of his gyms in Pontiac. And, uh, you know, we talked about it a little bit. And I was talking to Megan one night and I said, I, I think we could do this on our own. I don't think we need to have anybody else do this for us. So we literally just put up flyers around town, started a Facebook page and got six people to come in and try out our gym. And, and the rest is history from there. When you were designing this gym, uh, people later on are going to get why I'm laughing because this is a recurring theme with you. But um, <clears throat> when you started this gym, did you design it with CrossFit in mind or bodybuilding or sports training? Um, I don't really think we had anything in mind, really. Um, we we literally, and, and Megan still to this day kind of kicks me for this one because we have yet to go on our honeymoon. Uh, but we, <laughs> we, we started this business right before our, our wedding, and it was one of those things where you know, we could take this honeymoon or we could take this money and start a gym. And so we just bought what we could afford to buy. Really, we had a old building with electrical sockets hanging out of the wall. There was a dead bat in one of the back rooms. I mean, just rusty, crusty, you know, down and dirty. So we really just started it with the goal of getting people in and moving. Okay. And then from there, we branched on to more specific things. So like who was your target audience in the beginning? Uh, in the beginning, it was it was mainly just gen pop, uh, kind of middle-aged women, getting them in and going through a, a group fitness class. I had in mind that I intended to bring my athletes over to that gym at some point, but when we first started, uh, our resources were so scarce that it wasn't able to happen. We were both working full-time when we started up, so um, it was just getting group classes going to kind of start bringing the income in you know, to, to make the gym a little better. Okay. So you're doing personal training at one spot. You've got group classes going at another, right? And you've got these full-time yep. jobs. How are you juggling all that? I, I really don't know. Looking back at it now, um, I was still working full-time for the military at the time. Megan was a therapist, uh, in Bloomington, which is about 40 minutes away. So we would do, um, we had classes, two evening classes and that was it. That's all we had for the gym. Um, and then once that got bigger, we started, we opened one morning class. So I would go to the gym in the morning. I would train one of my PT kids. Then I would go do the group class. Then I'd go to work all day. I'd get off. I would do the two group classes in the evening and then another PT kid. And that, that went like that for about three or four months until finally Megan was able to quit her job to just do the classes to give me more time for, for my you know personal training. And so were you bringing everybody under one roof at that point? Uh, no, that actually didn't start till about, about six to eight months in when we moved into a, a much larger facility. Okay. That's when we brought everyone together. Okay. When did you affiliate as CrossFit Swamp Fox? We just affiliated actually in December of 2015. So we've only been a CrossFit affiliate for about six months now. That's incredible. And we're going to talk later about how you're adding your second affiliate right now. Mm -hmm. Um, where did the name Swamp Fox come from, AJ? Uh, the name Swamp Fox, that was my the name of my MIT team in Afghanistan. So uh, we were on a really small team in Afghanistan. There was only 11 of us on the team. And uh, the first group was from North Carolina. So, you know, General Francis Marion, uh, they named the group after him, and it just kind of lived on. And I was actually the last member of Swamp Fox in Afghanistan because uh, the 82nd Airborne Division came in after I left. So I extended and stayed over there till they ripped in and out. And uh, so I was the last one to leave. Oh, that's great, man. Okay, so uh, we're back to training here. Mm -hmm. You've got this gym open, and you're starting to take personal training clients. And I'm sure at that point, you know, you're willing to take anybody, right? We've all been yes. There. 
So why the slow move into specializing in training youth athletes? So, like I said, the way it really kind of kicked off was I was talking to a client and another client overheard me talking about, we were having a discussion about uh, sport, sport-specific training. There was a, a kid in town who started opening this gym um, and he was doing sport-specific training or quote-unquote sport-specific training. And we started talking about it and one of the other parents overheard and they're like, hey, you know, I hear you talking about sport training, you know, I, I see what you've done for me. What do you think about training my son? I was like, absolutely, bring him in. And uh, he actually, to this day, is probably my my protege, my golden child. He's such a good kid. Um, but so I started training him uh, in seventh grade, and he the, his first day freshman year of high school walked in, uh, took over the varsity catcher position on the baseball team. Um, just just a solid athlete. So when people started seeing him improve, uh, more parents started contacting me, uh, and probably. Five, six months after I trained him, I just trained him because I didn't look at this as a, you know, a big revenue stream. To me, it was what I had always enjoyed doing, so I was having fun with it. Uh, and then after a couple parents started contacting me about training, that's when I looked at it and I said, okay, this could really be something big. So I started reaching out to clients in, our, in Mad Fitness in our group classes that I knew their kids were doing sport. You know, so I'd ask them, what's Jack doing? This, you know, I know he plays baseball. What's he doing this offseason? Oh, you know, he's not doing much. He's kind of working out in the gym here and there. Well, what do you think about bringing him in here and let me run a couple sessions with him? And the parents like, oh, that'd be awesome. I had no idea at that point. The parents will really do anything to make their kids better um, at sports. So granted, I'm a firm believer in, in making sure you're doing the right thing. But, I mean, the parents were all about it whenever I would approach them about that. So, um, you know, we just started off slow. And now we're at the point where we have to start converging them into groups we can't take any more clients right now, and we actually have a waiting list in Pontiac and in the new location before it opens up. Wow, man. Okay, so we're going to dig into all of that, but before we do, let's define some terms here. To me, sports-specific training means um, I'm going to make you better at, if you're a hockey player, I'm going to make you better at stick handling, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Is that the kind of sports-specific we're talking about, or are we talking about like uh, GPP, general physical preparation for these athletes? So a little bit of both. Now there's a, there's a difference there, and we talked about this the other day. So and I think this is where a lot of the newer you know kids that are coming out of college kind of fail when they want to be a strength and conditioning coach. I primarily focus on the GPP, you know, the sports enhancement. So making them more explosive, making them faster, making them more powerful. Um, once the kids get a little older, I'll do some sport specific training. For example, I have a lot of kids that come back that play college sports. They'll come back over the summer, and I've gotten to the point now with the coaches where the coaches will send back a letter or call or email and say, hey, um, I want Kelsey to work on her lateral movements over the summer. That's where the sport-specific training comes in, and we focus on the very little things. 95% of what I do is just sports enhancement. So that's the separation of the two. You know, The base level of strength and power compared to – the specific drills. And that's what a lot of, what I was saying, a lot of younger coaches do these days. They graduate school. I'm going to be a strength and conditioning coach. And they go to Google and look at what, you know, what the top athletes are doing. And they're doing these cone drills, which is so impressive, but the kids can't just jump in and do that right away. So they kind of get discouraged and they, and they, they get bored. A lot of younger kids now get bored with coming in and running the same cone drill every single day. Yeah, we actually do see that quite a bit here. Where does CrossFit figure into this sports performance training? 
So I'm a, I'm a big fan. I've been to numerous seminars, uh, a lot of study in it, and I'm really a big fan of, of the CrossFit football program because of the simplicity of it. And I think that is where really CrossFit comes in is taking, yeah, you can still have this base level of strength that you're trying to build in your, in your key presses and pulls and squats and everything, but you can take those movements and put them into something that's challenging. So, example, I have a kid who just came from uh, Peoria House of Speed. House of Speed around Illinois is a pretty big thing. Uh, an old NFL player created this, this speed camp. Um, but in talking to this kid, I'm like, so what did you guys do? And he's like, well, we'd come in, we'd do a little bit of bench, and we'd maybe run a little bit. And I'm like, man, you're just being robbed of so much training. So, you know, this kid who is just a phenomenal athlete, I put him through one of my workouts, and he's, I've never been through anything like this. And they, they feel better. They start to perform better. So I think – Short answer is uh, combining that the heavy movements with the, the intensity of CrossFit. Okay, now this is important. I think um, when the parents are bringing them in, or when the kids are bringing them in, do the parents think my kid is going to do CrossFit to get better at his sport, or is he saying I'm going to bring my kid to AJ to make him better at his sport? And CrossFit is one of your tools. So the latter. So around here. People know we have CrossFit Swamp Fox, but they know that I am a strength and conditioning coach. So when they come to me, um, I'm from the from the very first time. Like if a parent emails me or calls me or whatever, I set up a meeting. I'm like, all right, you guys come in before we even start anything. We're gonna sit down so you know exactly what's going to happen. And that's when I explain to the parents what my goal is and how I implement my training with CrossFit to you know make their kid better because I don't. There's no debate that CrossFit is a phenomenal, you know, exercise program and, and you're going to get about as fit as you can doing CrossFit. But I don't believe that you can just take a regular CrossFit programming to make a better football player. I think it can be integrated. Absolutely. But you're not going to have a football player doing Fran. You know, you're not going to have a football player doing, you know, a grace or something like that for one of their primary workouts. So it, it's, it's important to meet with these parents and let them know what you're going to be doing. Walk me through that first conversation. What gets said? What gets shown? What gets tested? So the, the very first time we meet, we don't test anything. I sit down with the parents and let them know, like I said, exactly what I do. So uh, if a parent comes in and says, I want my son to get better at football. Okay, what I need you to understand is I am a strength and conditioning coach. I'm going to make your son better at being an athlete. I'm going to make them faster. I'm going to make them more explosive. I'm going to make them more coachable. Um, and let them know how we're going to do that. I'll lay out like a week programming and show them how the workouts will go. And then I let them know, especially if they're younger kids that are in like high school or, or we do a lot of JFL junior football league kids. I'll let them know at that age, I leave the specific training up to the coach. I live in a smaller town. I get along with all the coaches. So it's really hard for me to say, I want you to run this drill this way, but the football coach may want you to run it this way. So what I'm going to do is make you better at running the drill his way. So I am helping him out and I'm helping you out because at the, the end of the day, you're going to be stronger and faster working with me. Then you can go to him for the specific stuff that he wants you to do. Now, when they start coming back from college and things like that, that, like I said, that's when I'll work on specific drills for a sport. I'm a big believer in, in younger kids playing multiple sports. Um, so again, I can't stress enough. That's where I think the strength and conditioning coach comes in is just making them better athletes, period. How about dealing with parents' perceptions? So, you know, in our in our case, what we do, 
the parents coming in uh, wanting to see hockey specific training expect to see certain things like agility ladders and hurdles and cones and even you know sprinting parachutes and so on the first session that stuff does come out you know we kind of dump out the toy box after that the parent gets satisfied and that stuff all goes in the closet and we do the real work do you find that sometimes you have to satisfy that parent's perception just to get the kid going sometimes yeah so fortunately for me around here um there's there's no other coaches that do what i do so when i first started absolutely because i would have parents come and say this is what i read is best this is what i want my kid doing fine by all means um at a point like where I'm at now, I usually don't have to do that. Now, that's not to say that I don't have parents come in and say, I want my kids running ladders because almost every parent that comes in is like, I, I think they should be doing ladders. I think they should be doing parachutes. I think they should, they should be doing this. And it's it's pretty simple. I'm a very, very forward guy. So it's as simple as, you know, I understand that's what you want them doing, but that's not what's going to make them better. So we're going to save that for later. Let's focus on these things right now. Let's focus on, on getting their 40 time up. Let's focus on getting them um, running faster without a parachute or without a ladder because you can run on a ladder all day. That's not going to make you faster. Like it might make your footwork a little better, but if your goal right now is just get faster and more explosive, those things don't help. Now, I'll still get them out every once in a while just because the kids like to do it too because they see it on TV and want to do it. So I'll definitely get that stuff out and, and let the kids run drills on it and stuff like that. Or during a warm-up, I'll throw it in there. But I don't let those things uh, take up the, the primary spot in my programming. What are some of the biggest misconceptions that athletes have when they're coming in? I think one of the biggest things is what we were just talking about, You know, the ladders and all the bells and whistles. So um, this is another flaw that I see in programming in general and especially when it comes to athletic training so um a lot of athletes again the younger athletes they'll google their favorite star and they're like oh well i saw lebron james running this cone drill so that's what i need to do to get better at basketball well what you didn't see is lebron james putting his hour and a half into the weight room that day or you know running his sprints the day before that so that is that is by far one of the biggest misconceptions i'll see uh, for example, Micah, the kid that came from the other gym, I looked at the programming from his last trainer and I was looking at it and I'm like, some of this stuff is just, just absurd as far as how much they're doing. And that's why I think, um, guys, even like Jason Brown is doing well with his, his formatting and his programming is because it's, it's simple and it makes sense. It's simple and effective. And I, I think that's kind of gone away to some coaches lately is trying to make this like sexy, fancy um, workout routine that really isn't benefiting anybody too greatly. So that's going to be my next question is what are some of the biggest misconceptions that coaches have? Are you saying that they lean too heavily toward novelty? Yeah, I think a lot of them do. Um, and, and I did the same thing. So when we, when we affiliated with CrossFit, um, you know, before we were a CrossFit gym, we were just a, uh, like a hit, type training gym. We had a lot of machines. We'd come in, they would do, it was like a circuit type training. Um, so when we first took over CrossFit, I Googled everything I could about programming for CrossFit. And I would put so much into these workouts. And by the end of the week, I would look at my athletes and I'm like, man, like there's nothing left to do. They're all sore. And these are the, the gen pop CrossFit athletes I'm referring to, but they were so drained because I tried to cram so much into the sessions. And, uh, you know, after we did that for a while is when we brought Jason into our gym 
And now I look at the athletes and the workouts are fun. They're simple, but people are way more motivated to do these things because they don't feel so pressured to complete a lot. And the cycle of the training, you know, their legs aren't just wiped all week from trying to get four different girl wads into a week or whatever. This is really interesting to me, uh, this dynamic. And, you know, this show isn't about promoting uh, boxprogramming.com or anything. But, right. I mean, you've been a trainer for a long time. Mm-hmm. I know that you love programming and kind of geeking out on this stuff. Yeah. What made you decide to bring Jason Brown's box programming into CrossFit Swamp Fox? Well, the, the, the primary thing was I spend a lot of time programming for my athletes. Um, as you said, I, I love programming. I, I really believe that that's what makes or breaks a program or what makes or breaks an athlete is the programming that they go through. So I spend a lot of time doing that. I work with a couple other people in other gyms on programming for athletes. And when I, when I looked at how much time I was putting into this, you know, and then trying to program for the box as well. It just my workouts were getting sloppy. I knew that. And like I said, I was trying to make them so fancy and so, you know, just look so awesome that uh, it was just it was it was not working out well for the box. So that's when I reached out to Jason and he sent me a sample week. And I was like, at first I was like, man, this looks really kind of simple. But I ran it for a week and everyone's like, oh my, I don't know what changed, but I absolutely love this. And that's when I was like, all right, we got to get this dude in here. That's great. Okay. So now what we're going to do, AJ, is walk through the client experience at um, at your gym, kind of from the first inception point when they first hear about you through intake and assessment through programming. Yeah. So uh, most of the time now, um, I'm not very active in looking for new clients because we're full. Um, but if someone will contact me and say, I, I play softball or I play baseball, or whatever, I'm interested in training. All right, great. So I bring them in. I'm, I always have the parents come with them, uh, and I sit down and explain to them, like I said earlier, how what my process is, how I train, things like that. And and I've got it down now to where it can be a, just even like a 10-minute meeting to explain to the parents how everything goes. Uh, from there, we set up an assessment. So we, we charge our assessment separately. It is a separate fee. So they pay for the assessment, and I have the assessment broken down into three sessions. So if I have a kid, um, let's say I have a youth, you know, a youth athlete, I will give them more of a basic assessment where I'm just I'm testing for simple things like you know speed, power, acceleration, things like that. Once we get into more sport specific training, I break the assessments down. So if I have a baseball player, it's different than a football player. You know, a football player runs a forty, a baseball player runs a sixty. So those are important things to know what you're trying to get better at. If I have a kid who's like, hey, I'm committed to a college right now. I need to get better for baseball. We're focusing on baseball. I don't care about his four-yard dash time. Um, After we do the assessment, I assess everything, score everything, and then I send it back to the parent and the athlete. And I say, hey, here's where you score at among other college athletes, et cetera. Here's where I think we need to work. And then they'll respond. And in that assessment, I'll say, I recommend you you do a 10-session package to start Uh, 60-minute session, 90-minute session, whatever I think is really going to be best for them. Uh, When I started, I was a little nervous recommending sessions. But when I start thinking help first mode, like, hey, this is really what's going to benefit them the most, I'm going to recommend this. You do with that what you will, but this is my recommendation. Uh, Then from there, I I develop the program. And their program, like they'll meet with me twice a week. I also program them to work out on days that they're off. So they'll have four strength days between me and their days off. And then I always have one skill day where I want them to work on sport-specific things, um, where they can get the cones out, do the cone drills, 
um, and, and do all that, that fancy stuff because it is important, but it should not be the primary base of the program. Then from there, usually they'll run through about 10 weeks uh, and we'll reassess again. At that point, they can either use their final three sessions for a reassessment or they can pay for another assessment and reassessment. Most of the time, they'll pay for a separate assessment because they want to use those all of their sessions. And then we reassess. Here's what you improved. Here's what I think we need to work on next. And it's just a continuing cycle from there. And I, I've, to this day, we've had, man, over 50 athletes for sure. And I think there's only two that haven't come back. Uh, and it was just because it was, it was a lot more than they thought it was going to be. Do you mean after the assessment? No, af- I mean, just after their first, you know, 10 week training. Okay. So let's, let's kind of start from the end and work backward there. Um, when you are doing the reassessment, obviously you're recommending kind of a next step for them, right? Mm-hmm. What does that next step look like if they're going away to school? Uh, it, it really depends. So if they are uh, a good example, I have a girl in softball who's getting ready to go to, to college this summer. So what I did is I'll reach out to the head coach of the team and say, Hey, here's what's happening. Um, here's what I plan on doing. There's going to be that two or three week time frame afterwards where they're before they go to school. So I'll ask the coach, like, what do you want me to do in that time frame? Um, I think that's important reaching out to coaches and one, it shows, that you as a coach care and that's only going to help you later. And it, it makes the, the kid look good too, that they have a trainer who's willing to stay in contact with the coach. Um, so that has always worked well for us keeping in contact. So like you said, if they're going away to school, it does change the dynamic as if, you know, if they're just high school kids, cause they can keep coming here. Mm-hmm. But if you have that weird couple week uh, bubble, I always reach out to the coach and say, Hey, wh- you know, what is something you would like to see this athlete working on for these last couple of weeks? Okay. Going backwards from there, you were saying that you give the kids uh, some specific homework to do on the days they're not in the gym, right? Give yes. Me, give an example of that. Well, so if, if they're with me two days a week doing their strength training, they're going to have two other days outside of that with their strength training. So if Monday is you know a press and a squat day and they're with me, well, Tuesday is going to be their deadlift day. They're going to do that on their own. Um, and then you know Wednesday is usually their skill day. So what I will do is I will demo the, the first time they have a skill day, I'll bring them in and demo the movement so they know what they're doing, or I'll send them video demonstration. Um, and then I'll have them run, um, for example, maybe like their, their 40 yard dash, you know, on those days, or I'll set up like a five ten five drill for football or something and have them run the dot drills left and right, you know, five times each way. Um, because I think agility training isn't, is obviously important in sport. So those are the days that we use for agility training. And then, again, they're, they're back with me on Thursday or whatever. We have another uh, press and squat day, and then Friday might be power cleans. So they do that on their own. And what I do with it is if I am with them on, like, press and squat day one week, next week they're on their own on that day, and I'm with them for deadlift day. So I'm continually seeing how they're moving. You know, I, I, Like I said, beauty is in the movement. So I love to I try to record them every couple weeks, and I'll I'll make corrections to their movement and re-record them, and I'll send those videos actually to them and their parents and say, hey, look look at the improvement here, and they they love that stuff. They love seeing uh, a coach that is willing to take the time to do that. So when they're doing this stuff on their own, are they in your gym or are they somewhere else? Uh, they train at <laughs> we're we're connected to a full time gym, so they train okay. at that gym. Some of the kids train at the high school. Um, I use Train Heroic for a platform. So I blast the workouts out to them. They track their weights and everything in Train Heroic. 
And then I can go in and look and say, all right, this kid did the workout today. This kid did not do the workout today. And I can send them an email saying, hey, I don't see a workout log for the day. Why didn't you do the workout for today? Okay. If I'm running a gym and um, I don't want to send my kids off-site, uh, you know, what are my options? How could I run this same kind of programming owning a gym where I am all the time? Well, I think some kids, if you have a kid who's willing, because of my work schedule, I can't do three days a week. Yeah. Um, so if, if you have a, a kid who's willing to come in three days a week, that's going to cover the majority of it. Now, as far as like the fourth day, I always try to get at least four days of them training a week. Um, if they're doing, if, if maybe one of the days is going to be a skill day, that's something they can do at a park or, you know, an open or a football field or something like that. Um, but if they can't, if it's going to be a strength day, they're going to miss with you. There's going to have to be an open gym time or, or something that they can do to, to fill that void. I mean, that, that's, that's a tough question depending on where they're going to be able to train. One thing we run into all the time is, uh, you know, the parents have this vacation plan for the summertime. They're mm-hmm. running a sports camp. What do you give to the kid if they're going on the road for a week or 10 days? That's a good question. So those times, I just had a kid that did that right now. I will take those times and I will send them like strictly five to seven days where they just do like uh, agility or sprints or something like that. So in my warmups, in our warmups, we have very dynamic warmups every time we have warmup. Um, so I'll have them do like push up to sprint or something like that, or I'll have them do knee to sprints. Uh, and these are all different movements, pretty much acceleration. So I'll still have them do something, but it's going to be stuff that they can do anywhere. It's not ideal to not have them hitting the weights for a week, but if they're going to you know Hawaii or something, I don't expect them to as 14, 15 year old kids to drop everything and go to the gym. Like at least get in or get outside, hit some sprints outside. Um, and with that, uh, I stay in very close contact with the parents. So I'll reach out to the parents and hey, you know it's pretty, it's important that they're doing this while they're gone. And ninety percent of the time, the parents are going to make them do it. Okay. Uh, now back to the intake process. You know, you've got an assessment tool. Uh, where did the tool come from? Did you develop it yourself? No, actually, the tool, the the base of the tool came from you. <laughs> um, so I used that. I took that tool that you had, and I think it, I thought it was awesome. And I looked at it, and I was like, "This is great." If you're taking in a PT client, how can I make it more geared towards sport? So what I did is I used some of those, some of the things you had in there, like maybe cardiovascular. I would keep that, but again, if we're going to like speed where the 40-yard dash time is what you had in there and I'm training a baseball player, I'll do the 60-yard. If I'm doing a basketball player, we'll do the three-quarter sprint or three-quarter court sprint. Um, so I just pulled things in and out of there. Um, I also added different things for agility, um, like your 5-10-5s, things like that, um, and it's, it's working great. Uh, I changed some of the strength stuff too instead of – um, having it more like a power lift, I added where I do like kind of like a CrossFit football total where, you know, they have their squat press, uh, deadlift and then a power clean and, and, and did it that way. Okay. I will say, even though I know that kind of the kernel came from, uh, something to do a catalyst, you've enhanced it so much that, uh, it's completely different almost from the original. Yeah. So, um, the next stage, I guess, is when you're presenting these results to parents, do you find it helpful to show them something, a graph, a comparison chart, you know, something that looks kind of objective? Yes, absolutely. Um, when you, even when you send, after the first assessment, you do three um, sessions with the kid and assess them. 
And I posted an example on Two Brain uh, a couple weeks ago. When you send the parents something like that, the response the parents give you gives you is incredible. Um, they are just so excited that, first of all, you took the time to do this, and they have a start point now. So then, when you reassess and you go to the parents and you say, "Look at you know, John was running a, a five seven forty. Now he's running a five one forty. That's six tenths of a second. I mean, that's huge." Um, they get very excited and it almost becomes invaluable at that point because to them, it's like, my kid is getting better. My kid is going to be the, the best player on the team. Um, and then almost immediately, where do we go next? What do we do after this? Well, we do another 10 session package and we're going to work on this. And I, I can honestly tell you, I've never had a parent tell me no after showing them an assessment result or a reassessment of all, or a result. I've never had any parent tell me no. How much of that is your confidence in presenting it? You know, earlier you said that you take the help first philosophy. Maybe you can just explain that a bit more. So, and yeah, what I meant by that was um, I don't ever want the parents and I don't ever want to feel like I'm trying to sell something to a kid or a program. Yeah. If I recommend a program, it's because it's going to make that kid better, not because it's going to bring me another 10 session package. I mean, I could go sell a gen pop client or another kid, the same thing, right? but that's not going to help me in the long run. Like I said, I live in a smaller town Word travels fast. That can be excellent. And that can be terrible. If I start training <laughs> kids and they don't get better, I'm done. Um, so I'm only going to recommend what's going to help them. And, you know, back to your, your question on confidence, I absolutely believe that that has a lot to do with it. Um, because not everybody is comfortable training athletes, you know? Some coaches are going to implement just traditional CrossFit workouts to kids, and, and it's not going to be near as beneficial as a, a program designed for sport. That's interesting. What would you say are the fundamental differences between a standard CrossFit program to, to improve GPP and a sport enhancement program that you're talking about? Uh, it's just it's little things. Um, so one of the things, for example, in my GPP I always have, like, my, my base strength program stays almost the same. You know, our fundamental presses, vertical, horizontal, uh, same with pulls, and then your squats. Um, jumping, you know, broad jumps, uh, knee, knee to box jumps, seated box jumps, things like that. You know, the power comes from the hips, especially, you know, when we're training young athletes. Hips and young athletes, I spend so much time there because their hips are always so bound. Uh, and really very weak for what they should be. So th I think that's a key difference. Like when I, when I think of CrossFit GPP, I think of the nine fundamental movements of CrossFit, which is great. Um, I, they're definitely beneficial movements, but for I don't teach snatch to any of my high school kids. I never, ever teach snatch. I don't think they need snatch. Uh, when I teach the clean, I only teach power clean. I don't teach the Olympic lift version of a, of a full squat clean because they don't really need that. You know, They need to focus on just that explosive movement. There's no, they're not Olympic lifters. So, um, it's, it's little things like that, that really do make a big difference in, in the kids training so, and the conditioning, the conditioning is way different too. How so? Well, if, if you know, if you think of a, a CrossFit workout every once in a while, you're going to have those, those workouts where you have a heavy lift. Um, but for the, for the majority of them, it seems lighter weight, uh, faster intensity. Uh, with my conditioning, I always throw in a heavy weight, um, and throwing in like change of direction in, in the workout is important. And you don't have that in all the CrossFit workouts. Like, you know, with, with one of our workouts, we might do 
five rounds for time where they're doing a 315 pound deadlift and then they go outside and run a 10, 20, 20 or 10, 20, 10 or something like that. Uh, and then come back in and do it again. So we always incorporate change of direction, you know, hip movement and, uh, and heavy weight. That's, that's an interesting observation. There is not a lot of lateral movement in CrossFit and actually very little, uh, single limb movement, right? Right. So give me some more examples of what you're incorporating for these athletes with those. Are you talking about as far as the conditioning? Yeah, exactly. Well, th- that's really the big thing. So the change of direction is is really big for athletes because um, let, let's say a running back or a middle linebacker, they don't just run straight all the time. You know, They have to make cuts. They have to explode to the left, to the right. So we work that. And you know, we'll start with very basic things like, all right, all I'm going to do is stand in front of you, and I want you to get in your athletic stance, and I want you to hit me laterally as hard as you can, just popping off one foot. So getting them used to generating force from a stop position, uh, some of the biggest kids cannot move laterally to save their lives. Like they hit you laterally and it feels like a, a five-year-old hitting you. So working those those base movements of lateral movement, things that, that they would not get in a traditional CrossFit programming, um, I really think that that makes or breaks an athlete. When you watch you know, a linebacker, for example, who as soon as he sees the ball going left, if he can get there, sprint off that right leg and get left as fast as he can, he's going to make the tackle. If he tries to run straight and curve slowly around, he's not going to make the tackle. Do you think this is missing from gen pop programming too? Should we be doing more of this stuff for the average Joe? I don't think it would be a bad thing, but when you look at the average Joe, like why do they need to move laterally explosively? You know, um, I'm sure you could justify it somewhere, but not like you would for an athlete. Like athletes have to be able to move laterally. They absolutely have to. I can't really think of any sport that they wouldn't. But day-to-day life, it's not very often that you're going to need to jump as far left as you can. But it's definitely not going to hurt anything. What are some common weaknesses you're seeing? Uh, you know, you're dealing with an age group where they've probably just had a growth spurt. Mm-hmm. Um, they're probably sitting kind of in a rounded posture all day. Absolutely. Do you have to do any corrective work? Oh, for sure. So, so right now we deal with about seventy to seventy-five athletes that come through our gym. Between our individual clients, uh, we work with the swim team, we work with the football team, we work with the baseball team. Um, Balance and lateral movement is a big thing. It seems like kids these days, like they're all giraffes, like they're all baby giraffes when they get there. So, I mean, you you put a kid on one foot and tell them to do anything and it's like impossible. So things like that, but that makes a difference. I mean, again, if you're making a quick cut or you have to move quickly laterally and you're off balance, um, it's not going to be near as powerful as if you have a strong base, a strong balance. Lateral movements always one, and core weakness. And I think a lot of that has to do with, like you said, sitting all day, rounded back, poor posture. Uh, so we do a lot of static planking, side planking um, with our athletic training just to develop that core strength because it's it's definitely missing today in the younger kids. Are you seeing any um, like joint dominance, maybe problems from sport? And the reason I ask is, back in the day, um, we used to get a lot of kids, you know, twelve to fourteen, and they've just had a growth spurt. They're quad dominant to start off with, and they're playing a quad dominant sport like volleyball or um, maybe soccer. You know, where they've got this massive decelerative force all the time on their quads. Uh, are you seeing it, and what do you do to fix that? Absolutely. I see that all the time. So a good example, I have a young kid 
who who is in that position right now, very quad dominant and a very weak core. So let's say like when I do the squat assessment and I can see when he goes down, he can't sit back into the position. When he starts to sit back, his his whole body folds forward. You can tell he's weak in the core, hamstrings are weak. So what we do there is instead of putting them right into the regular program, where it's like, right, I want you to squat twice a week. What we'll do is we'll have one day a week where it's skill day for squat. So all we're doing is very lightweight, um, and we're, we're running the PVC pipe, for example, and trying to work that form. And then on the second squat day, instead of squatting again that day, we'll focus on something that's going to help build the hamstring and the core. So we'll do some planks that day with maybe some reverse hypers or, or straight leg deadlifts or something like that that's going to start building those weaknesses. Now, kids like that is where I think really the finesse comes into strength and conditioning. It'd be very easy to take that kid, and this is where I think personal trainers separate from a strength and conditioning coach. It'd be very easy to take that kid and say, you're going to squat twice a week, you're going to do this on your off days, that's your program for the next 10 weeks. Whereas a strength and conditioning coach is going to look at that and be like, all right, like I said, you have weak hamstrings, you have a weak core, we need to fix that. Not just continually make you do this poor movement, we need to fix this. And that's where you start taking and molding and doing different things to help correct those imbalances. But you're absolutely right. It's very, very common. Okay, man. So let's talk about how you're delivering your program for the summer. Uh, you've got group. You've got PT. What are your options? How are you integrating them? Uh, so, yeah, right now we have group. We have strength and conditioning camps. We have PT. Uh, so we have a lot going on with, with our training. Um, as far as integration, are you referring to how, like how I'm managing all the groups or – well, what determines who goes into your camps? What determines who does PT instead? And then we'll talk about the actual structure of them. Yeah, so uh, if let's say we, we just had our first camp this summer, um, and that's something that anybody can sign up for. So we capped it at 12 people. So after the 12 kids signed up, we started the camp very, very basic with the movements, um, and we slowly add load. Now, fortunately, about eight of my regular kids – uh, went into that camp, which is awesome because they, they are helping out with some of these other kids. But the camp is more of an introduction to weight training. So it's not for a kid who's trying to go to the next level right away. It was designed to get younger kids in there that aren't comfortable with movement. So we break it down to where, you know, when we're doing squats, everything's by number. So I say down, I say up so I can watch them. Uh, the small group training is more kids that were doing PT um, and they've got that base level of strength. They, they know what's going on and I can trust them in a group of six to eight kids and I'll bring those kids in and run them through the program, but I don't manage it by the numbers. So I'll say, all right, guys, we got 10 minutes. I need, you know, we're going to work up to a three rep max on power cleans or something. And, and I know that they can do that on their own. You know, me obviously walking around, checking them and everything, but I know they're good on their own where I don't have to micromanage everything. And then PT is the majority of the group where, you know, they'll come in and say, I want to learn or I want my son or daughter to get better at whatever. And that's when we'll do the assessment. We'll take them in based on their assessment, train them. And then if they're with us for a couple months and they're like, Hey, you know, I feel comfortable being in a small group. Absolutely. And that's great because when you have a small group like that, it's obviously more dollar per hour for the coach. Um, and then that opens up another, another spot for another individual client to come in. I think you nailed something really important there is that uh, a lot of these people start with PT yeah. and then they move to group and that's where the coach is making more per session, right? Absolutely. 
I know there's a lot of gyms out there starting a quote unquote strength and conditioning program for the summer and they've got like three kids in there. And if they actually figured out what they were earning, um, maybe they should go mow lawns or something instead, right? Yeah. So like our, our strength camp, we didn't charge a lot for our strength and conditioning camp, Yeah. but they're not, it's not a full blown session. Uh, I mean, they're getting what they pay for, you know, a very basic learning the movements kind of thing. And then, you know, the kids who go from into the small groups, they're paying less per hour, but we have anywhere from four to 10 kids in those small groups. Yeah. And then the PT, it, you know, it's a little less more per hour for the trainer, but the, the, the goal of PT is to get those kids into those small group sessions. Okay. So let's, let's work backward to the first stage for most people is how do, you, how do you get these kids? Now you're sold out, you're full, you've got this second gym opening in Streeter right now, but if you had to get another 50 kids before the summer, how would you do it? I would start talking to parents in the gym that, that you know they have kids. I mean, you know, as a gym owner, you should know most of your clients pretty well anyway, or your coaches should. So you know if they have kids. Talk to them. Like I said, ask them, hey, what's John doing this summer? I know he plays baseball. Baseball season's over now. What's he doing? Is he training anywhere? Oh, no, he's just doing the high school you know, training twice a week, whatever. Well, I'd love to have him come in and do a session with me uh, and see how he likes it. You know, Get the kids in there. Make the training fun for the kids, but make it effective. And once the kids tell their parents they like it and they want to do it, they're going to come back. Okay. What about coordinating with coaches from local sports teams? How would you make that connection if you didn't already have them? Uh, it's just as simple as reaching out and talking to the coaches. For example, we're going through this in Streeter right now. I don't know any of those guys over there, but I'm reaching out to all the coaches, all the ADs, and I'm sending them a flyer, you know, a list of everything we offer and letting them know like, hey, we're here to make your teams better. Let us know how we can do that, what we can do for you. Um, and, you know, and they're calling back like, awesome, you know, when are you guys going to be up and going? You know, what do we got to do to get the kids in there? Um, but, you know, I think it is important to, especially to them, is to know that you're helping them. You're not doing this. If I would have said, I'm opening this gym, I want your kids to come train with me, it doesn't really mean anything to them. But if I say, I'm going to take your athletes and make your athletes better for your team, they take a little bit of ownership with it. And then they're more willing to reach out and send it out to parents. Have you ever run into an ego problem with these coaches where they're reluctant to send the kids to you because they think they're going to train them themselves? Absolutely. Um, and that happens a lot. So yeah. we are kind of going through that in Pontiac right now where one of the coaches wants to train his kids his way. Well, the problem is the kids aren't getting better. Um, the parents are very frustrated. And the, a lot of those kids are coming to us now. And it's kind of caused this little bit of tension between us and the coach. Um, but at the end of the day, um, I think the most important thing to look at is what is better for the kid. So if you really feel that what you're doing is better for the kid and the parents agree, the kid agrees, you, you got to kind of take the coach's opinion with a grain of salt um, because it, it gets more personal, especially in a small town like we're from. It gets very, you know, the coach is like, well, I've been doing this 20 years. Well, that's the problem. You've been running the same training program for 20 years. And things have changed a lot in the last 20 years. But, yeah, it, and it's one of those things you just kind of handle with the most finesse possible. You know, I always try to get in there and talk to this coach and, hey, here's what we're doing. But, you know, he's, he's an old school guy. He's about to retire. So um, you just you got to try to get along with him. So do you get any pushback to the word CrossFit? No, because I don't like when I go talk to coaches, I don't say um, I'm going to. I'm offering a CrossFit service, and that's why 
about three, four weeks ago, I actually created a separate thing. So we have CrossFit Swamp Fox, and now we have Mad Fitness Strength and Conditioning. And I separated those two on Facebook and everything. So now um, if I talk to a coach, I'm like, hey, you know, because I'll post videos up on there sometimes or pictures and stuff, and I'll say, hey, check out our Facebook page, you know, or I'll give them the web, or website to our landing page on our CrossFit website. Um, and I think that helps because a lot of people now um, that are reaching out from other towns, they don't even – when they show up, like, oh, I didn't even know you had CrossFit here. You know, I, I thought you just did strength and conditioning. Mm-hmm. Well, that may have deterred somebody from coming if they thought we were just going to use CrossFit. So that's that's helped me a lot, separating the two entities. And a lot of that is just the, the first perception, right? You're using CrossFit. You are a CrossFit gym. You're a CrossFit advocate. But mm-hmm. It's not the first thing an athletic client sees. Exactly. And, and it, a lot of it is because, like I said, so many of the coaches um, – and it could be different. If you're in a bigger area – um, a larger city. Some of the coaches may be all about that, but in in where I'm at, Pontiac, Illinois, cross this is this is like 2004 for CrossFit in Pontiac, right? So mm-hmm. CrossFit's brand new here, so nobody knows what it is. Okay, so uh, AJ, you know you've got so much stuff going on right now. You've got the two gyms. You've got this full time job. I mean, you've got. Um, uh, a, a program that can't fit any more athletes, but you're also working on some other stuff. So tell us about that. Yeah. So right now I'm working on, um, kind of doing what I'm, I've done for a couple of smaller gyms. My buddies own a gym is, uh, remote programming for other people. So if somebody has, you know, they think, Hey, I could probably get 15, 20 kids in my gym training, but I'm not comfortable doing that. Um, that's where I can come in and and offer assessments and offer, you know, programming and things like that. Um, and we're also right now working on a way to do almost like a remote, remote training where someone has a client that they train remotely, but aren't comfortable doing the programming for, you know, we can come in and help that as well. And, uh, like I said, we're doing it for two smaller gyms, uh, and it's working really well. The, the coaches are younger. Um, they don't, they don't have any experience with, with this kind of training. So it's just easier for them to have programming available. And that's where I think it's going to be the most beneficial as you look at younger or newer coaches, you know, everyone's trying to hire coaches now to, to get on their CEO status. And, you know, they may be missing a market in this, in this youth training or athletic training, but the coaches aren't comfortable doing it or don't have any experience in it. And that's where we can help. Yeah, and actually, the way that we laid it out, it's it's really a no brainer for a lot of coaches. Um, so, the way that we talked about was, uh, you help the gym with the assessment of the athlete. Uh, you help with giving them a scorecard and a recommendation, and then uh, actually programming for the athlete. So, if a gym has a coach that's not as busy as they want to be, or they want to ramp them up into a full time job, um, yeah, you can really make this easier for them, right? Oh, for sure, and. You know, if you know, for example, I have two interns this year who are phenomenal athletes, uh, awesome coaches. But as I said before, I firmly believe, especially when it comes to um, athletes, that the it's the programming. The programming is what's going to make the athletes. I don't, I don't want to say I don't trust these younger guys, but I don't, I don't know how they will do with strength and conditioning training. So I write the programming for them. They go out and train individual kids using my programming so they're training people at my gym but i'm handling all the programming and that's where i think it could really benefit other gyms is these coaches like you said they want to build them up get them time coaching this is a good way to do it 
Yeah, I'll, I'll give an example of how this would work in my gym. Uh, so we have two locations. I've got a brand new coach, fantastic kid. Um, you know, he has been a prominent athlete in town before. He's not going to program for these other athletes, right? Uh, he's going to be a great coach. He's not going to be a knowledgeable programmer. And so this is where I could use somebody like you to step in and actually do the programming so that I can focus on the other stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, last question then, AJ. How are you going to make this available to other people? So instead of just getting nailed with Facebook messages after this podcast goes on the air, how's this service look from the user standpoint? So right now I'm working with Train Heroic to make it to where it'll be all digital. Um, we could do it right now where um, I could send the workout right to the athlete. But the problem with that is it's going to show me as the coach, and I don't want that. I want the, the coach of the gym to be the coach. So right now, as a client, like let's say you hired me to do programming, you would get the programming digitally tr through Train Heroic. So all of your workouts would be laid out, and it's broken down by warm up, um, you know, your strength, your skill, whatever. And then from there, you would either, you know, deliver it that way, or you would, you know, if you wanted to type it in Excel sheet, um, we can also send it to you just in an Excel sheet where. The programs are, are a PDF, so the programs are written day-to-day -day by week, and then I can just send all eight or ten weeks or whatever to the coach at one time, and with this, the athlete can print it out and track all the numbers that way. That's beautiful, man. How can people reach you if they want more info? Uh, they can email me at madathletics3 at gmail.com. Fantastic. Thanks, AJ. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's time for Critical Questions. Got a question for Chris? Email chris at twobrainbusiness.com. Here's our most critical question this week. Q&A episode a couple of weeks ago generated a lot more questions. Some of them were super good, and I want to pick one of them out right now and just kind of address it. And the question is, there's a lot of great ideas here, and there's a lot of other great ideas online too. How are people making the time to actually get to them all? I'm working in my gym all day, 5 a.m. to 8 p.m., and I have my own ideas, but I just never have the time to put them together. And I thought this was a fantastic question because I've been through this. A hundred percent of the mentoring clients that I have now have gone through this themselves. I get on the phone with them the first time. They've got a hundred great ideas. None of them ever get the trigger pulled on them because they just don't have time. I thought a lot of my time is actually spent reining people in. Instead of saying, here's another great idea, and here's another, and here's another, what I'm doing is saying, you've got a lot of great ideas. Let's do this thing first. This is the one piece that has to be corrected before any of the other ideas can take place. So when we start a mentoring process with somebody, the first thing that they're doing is identifying who their target audiences are. Because if you have a great idea to help uh, equestrians, you know, horseback riders, but you don't have any stables in your town or none of your current clients do horseback riding, we're going to have a tougher time. And we always want to start with the low-hanging fruit. So we work through, uh, you know, roles and tasks, identifying exactly what you do to make it easier to move those things to other people and free up your time. You hear AJ refer to CEO time. And you hear uh, other people in the Two Brain Mentoring Group talk about their CEO time. And basically, the CEO time is the hour that they've freed up during the week to grow their business. They've set aside first one hour and then two and then three. And it doesn't sound like a lot, 
But if you think about your week, and I'm going to give you an exercise to do here very soon. If you think about your week, if you had one solid hour carved out at any time during that week, say it's 9 a.m. Monday right now, to work specifically on one actionable item that's going to grow your business, how far could you get by next week? How far would you get after a month of doing that? How far after two months, six months? So our goal, if you read the document, the 10-hour CEO, is first to figure out where we can make you an hour, second to figure out how we can pay somebody else to take one thing off your plate to clear up that hour, and third, how we're going to generate more revenue or more value from that hour than it costs to pay somebody else to do that thing. And this is really where the mentorship starts. And from there, we say, okay, what are the best uses of that time? Sometimes it's planning. Sometimes it's correcting mistakes that have been made in the business. Sometimes it's, you know, maybe raising the rates. That's not always. Sometimes it is marketing. But we need to get to that spot where you can actually do the work first. Early on in my mentoring career, uh, I thought that my job was just to dump ideas on people. And that just paralyzed them and buried them even deeper. Now I realize that my job is to take them from step one to step two to step three without just saying, here are a thousand different steps that you could take. This is what really gets people a lot further. And so here's the exercise I want you to do this week. This is where you're spending your time. This is something that we do with every mentoring client at a different stage in their process. Some people do it right away. Some people don't do it until they're ready to move out of ramp up and into you know, a, an ongoing mentoring program. First, this week I want you to wear a watch. And I want you to write down every little thing that you do, every task that takes longer than five minutes related to your business. So if you're coaching a class from 6 a.m. today until 9, I want you to write down coaching class 6 till 9. And then if you spend the next hour uh, you know, processing your transactions for June, I want you to write that down. But anytime you're doing a job for the gym that takes more than five minutes, I want you to stop and record what it is that you're doing. So if you're at home and it's Sunday afternoon and you're programming from one o'clock until 2.10 in the afternoon, I want you to write that down. And at the end of one week, we're going to sum up this time. For most people, before they even reach the end of seven days, they've already spotted areas where they could really streamline their time. And all we're trying to do in the beginning is set aside one hour for focused CEO work. Usually, before we build that habit, that means an appointment with me on the phone where we're working together to get stuff done. The important stuff that's going to uh, facilitate your growth long term. But later, that's going to mean first a meeting with me and then an hour of homework where I've given you a specific assignment to do. Watch this video, fill out this form, make this connection, call this person, whatever that is. And then we follow up with that the next week. The way that we change a CEO's behavior to free them up to do all these things is to start with uh, specific accountability and then modeling with accountability and then uh, ideas with accountability. And that's where our mentorship program eventually goes. So when you see people doing these amazing other things, opening a second box like AJ is, putting together uh a software testing package like AJ is, building this third business like AJ is, running his box, doing personal training, contacting these parents, having another job like AJ is, 
It's because they've started by carving out their CEO time to work on that. You've probably heard of a lot of different two-brain clients starting second and third businesses, uh, maybe buying other gyms, maybe opening completely unrelated businesses, maybe doing epicracegear.com, boxprogramming.com, uh, healthy steps, stuff like that. The way that they're doing this is not simply because they had the great idea to do it. You know, you got you are not waiting for success because you just don't have that idea. The problem is that you don't have time to execute. That's what mentorship and modeling is all about. So these guys have solid business that basically runs itself, and now they have the time and the income to work on project number two. If you start project number two before project number one is dialed in to the point where it is an asset, meaning it runs itself, it generates cash and time regardless of the input that you put in. If you start your second business before that's true of the first, both of them are going to more than double your workload. It's more work to run two boxes than it is to run one. And so if the first box doesn't take care of its own workload, you're going to bury yourself with the second one. And unfortunately, I've seen this many times where people are so rushed to open this second box that neither box is actually doing that well. And they've got 300 clients spread between two locations and they're netting you know, less than $30,000 a year. I see this all the time. Or maybe one box is doing well, but it's paying for the second box. This is a huge mistake because one asset is funding one liability. So how are these people doing all this extra stuff, amazing stuff? They're taking time and they're carving out the time to work on it and they're slowly peeling themselves away from the first business to free themselves up on the second business. How does this work if you don't want to have another business? You know, you, The goal here is that you only really need one business to thrive, to get to perfect day. Going through these same steps is necessary because most people don't want to have two jobs in the business. So they want to coach, or they want to be the CEO, or they want to be the bookkeeper, or they want to be the personal trainer, or they want to be the cleaner, and that's it. That's fine. But the only way that you're going to go from wearing 12 hats to wearing one is through this same process of delineating the tasks that you're doing and making a cash flow asset where 11 of the 12 jobs run themselves or are done by other people instead of by you. The last piece of this puzzle is piecing together the actual value of each task that's being done. So a lot of people say, well, I need to make more money and then I can hire staff and that staff will do X, Y, Z. They'll do the sales, they'll do the marketing, they'll do the cleaning. This is actually backward. We want every staff person to generate the revenue that pays them. So even if they're doing a GM role, where they're processing client accounts, they're dealing with all the emails, they're sending out the newsletters, they're scheduling the staff, you know, they're looking after the programming and, and maintaining the building and all that stuff, that person still has to generate at least twice the revenue required to pay themselves. If they need to make a salary of $40,000, they need to directly generate the revenue of $80,000, or in my case, at least $90,000. And I calculate that by taking the four-ninths model and flipping it on its head. Somebody who wants to make 40000 a catalyst should be able to generate 90000 How do they do that? Personal training, group classes, specialty programs. And after they've generated at least 90, then I can say, well, how can they generate that money in 25 hours a week and use the other 15 hours a week to be my GM, 
and once they're GM, I can move on to another business. This is how I've started five businesses now. I use the exact same model for every one. I lead, but I don't do everything. I don't work on the fulfillment. Uh, I don't open the gym every morning. I don't turn on the lights. I still pay the bills, but that's going to be off my plate very soon too. You have to break yourself down into roles. If you're working you know, a 15-hour day at the gym and you're not getting ahead, you never will. You don't have time to do these special things that will actually take you to the next step. I hope that answers the question and I hope it's not uh, too discouraging. But this is the hard reality that I've had to face myself too over and over. And you're not going to learn this the first time. You think that by doing something more is what's going to get you to the next step and that's not true. Stopping everything, getting yourself free of the day-to-day delivery and then plugging yourself back in only where you want to be is what actually helps with growth. I outline that process step-by-step in Two Brain Business 2.0 and this is uh, what we go through in the mentorship program step-by-step with accountability too. The final point is that it's one thing to know what you want to do. It's even, you know, you might even know exactly how to do it. But pulling the trigger is a big difference. So when these guys are starting their second businesses, they might have a fantastic idea. Like, uh, I want to create a heart rate monitor that trainers will give to their senior clients and they'll wear it all day and I'll track what they eat and I'll track their heart rate. And if they fall down the stairs, it'll send a message to 911. None of my clients are currently working on this. So it's one of the only examples that I could come up with that none of my clients are working on. If you want to work on that, your gym has to operate autonomously. But somebody still has to tell you to get started on this thing. And that's really where mentorship comes in. It's getting you to the point where you can start and then helping you to start by saying, this is step one, do it by Tuesday. I hope you have a great week.